Welcome to No Challenges Remaining on day one of the 2020 U.S. Open. I am Ben Rothenberg. There were some big results today at the Open, with Zverev beating Anderson, Sevastova beating Goff, Nori beating Schwartzman, but much of this show will actually focus on the fallout of what happened yesterday, Sunday, at the U.S. Open, or in the bubble of the U.S. Open at least, when a positive coronavirus test was revealed for an unnamed player, the first player to have been announced to have tested positive in New York, and then Benoit Paire was withdrawn from the U.S. Open, leading everyone to quickly ascertain that Benoit Paire had tested positive for coronavirus. This positive test for Pear comes a week after he had appeared ill during his first-round loss in the Western Southern Open, the Cincinnati tournament, also held in New York. And more crucially for the ongoing U.S. Open, comes after Pear had spent lots of time inside the so-called bubble, being a, the social butterfly that he is with many other players, particularly French ones, though also some, some non-French ones. After a weekend of uncertainty and what seemed like some scrambling for the USTA, new and different protocols were issued for players who've been ruled to have been in contact with PAIR and thus exposed themselves to potential virus infection. This was first discussed by uh, Noah Rubin, I believe, on his podcast Behind the Racket with co-host Mike Cation. Let's take a listen to that clip, which hit the airwaves, the podcast airwaves, on Sunday evening and caused quite a stir. Close contact. Okay, close you contact know, with Benoit yes. Pair. And so what's yes. happening to those 11 people? Um, they have been given new protocol to sign, a new document to sign. This is an amendment to the original documents and waivers we had to sign. Um, this is stating that they will have no access to certain areas, but will still be permitted on the grounds and practice courts and everything like that. They will mm. be still playing the tournament as i know these 11 people are all tennis players i know there are some on the men's and women's side i think predominantly men but i'm not 100 sure um how do you know that number of 11 this 11 is coming from the french players directly that are quarantined hmm. okay uh, that's a weird i don't even know what word to use for them i think quarantine is sources right. <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm just saying for the you know for this because they've only been able they've been quarantined for what twelve hours or whatever right. it is. So, I mean, fuck. When I say close contact, is because obviously he's come in contact with others. But these are the people they have a feeling that are close enough to possibly have contracted if Benoit Pair is a true positive contracted COVID from him. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, you're not going to do anything? All this work. Noah Rubin, who, as Beyonce would say, has truly caused all that conversation, joins us later in the show. But first, I want to get to some reporting that my colleague Chris Clary did at the New York Times. He published a document of the, what the protocols are for the players involved. And so I want to read them to you. There are seven, seven bullet points here published. Number one, these are for players who were in contact with the player who tested positive, who we know to be Benoit Pair. Number one, you were required to stay in your hotel room when at the hotel. Number two, access to all the common areas, fitness and training, food and beverage areas is prohibited. Number three, no one is permitted in your room. I assume that means besides yourself. Number four, you may only leave your room for travel to the National Tennis Center. Number five, meals at the hotel are only permitted by food delivery to your room. Number six, towels and sheets must be placed outside your door in bags supplied by the hotel, and you are responsible for changing out towels and sheets in your room. 
Number seven, you may only leave your room at a prearranged time for dedicated transport to the National Tennis Center. There's also daily testing involved. So this was this was stressful for people who had a, been exposed to Benoit Pair and weren't sure if they're going to get to play in the tournament or not. As we know, Guido Pella and Hugo Delian were eliminated from the previous Cincinnati tournament, Western Southern Open, after their physio tested positive upon arrival. So they weren't sure what would happen. They ultimately were allowed to play. Uh, and let's hear from two of those French players who were given the new protocols after being in prolonged contact with Benoit Pair in the bubble. Uh, Adrian Manorino and Kiki Mladenovic. We'll start with Adrian. Adrian, après vous. Uh, I'm curious for you what um, effect uh, the last couple of days had on you in terms of the, what was happening with the French players and with uh, Benoit Pair and the contact with him. How much that affected you and what, what your sort of own issues were in the last couple of days? First of all, this is not only French players who are in my situation. I've been reading that a lot, but there is also players from another country than France. Yeah, it affected us. Uh, I received a text uh, from the ATP on Saturday night saying that they needed to speak me to speak to me in a hurry. So yeah, I went to my room. They asked me to stay in my room. Um, they told me that one players has been uh, tested positive, and um, obviously I've been in contact with him. They asked me. Uh, how were my last couple of days? Who did I talk to? They could see or they are supposing that uh, I've been uh, in contact, in close contact with uh, Benoit, which was the, the player who has been tested positive. So, yeah, uh, at first they, they told me to stay in my room. Um, that was on Saturday night. And they told me that uh, they would come back to me on Sunday to see uh, what was the decision from the New York Health Department. So we were like few players that I know in the same situation. And well, I haven't been sleeping much, you know, I, 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 did, I had no idea of uh, if I was going to be withdraw from the tournament, if I was still going to be in the tournament and then in which conditions. So, yeah, I've been thinking a lot. On um, on Sunday, um, the ATP told told us to. They were discussing with the health department to see um, what was going to be the decision uh, concerning all the player who has been in contact with Benoit. So it, it took um, it took a while for them to first uh, take the decision to. To leave us in the tournament, uh, we were still eligible to play, but then they were trying to figure it out which would which protocol would be for us so by i would say by 5 5 30 they they sent us the new protocol that we would need to agree if we want if we still wanted to be in the tournament so yeah we have a new protocol and uh, we need to stick to it we're uh we're on site i mean we're still around we can practice we can play but we we have some different uh, conditions now. How much do you think it affected you on court in terms of just the mental uh, toll this has taken? Yeah, I was, um, I'm kind of exhausted mentally, but I'm still really happy to be able to play. So yeah, I need to, to enjoy, enjoy it as much as I can. And that's good. That's good for me to be here still. So that was Adrian Manorino. And here is Kiki Mladenovic.
sounds like you're aware it's been a very tough uh, last two three days for me emotionally in nerves and with all the rest organization I am basically in a new bubble in the bubble so there's uh, very not much I'm allowed to do which it makes it very tough for me to yeah to compete and mentally be be kind of uh, fresh and ready but I'm I'm just so much relieved and grateful. I, I get to play, I get to win my first match. Kiki, congratulations. How much time did you spend with Benoit? And in terms of being one of the people who was limited to him, what, what kind of contact did you had with him? To be very transparent with you, I had one practice with him of an hour, but obviously we were on the opposite side of the court and I spent maybe 30, 45 minutes um, in the lobby at the reception having... Um, not dinner, but like I actually didn't even have dinner uh, back then. But I played cards with all different people and um, didn't spend much time with him, to be honest. I think all in all was like the last two weeks was like an hour and a half. So um, I kind of feel very unlucky there, um, especially that apparently the practice doesn't count. And it's just the fact that I spent um, 30 minutes uh, with him being part of that big table of people and of course we had masks on but it's just the fact that yeah I've been in contact in contact <laughs> with a uh, with a person that has been uh, tested positive so it's pretty um, tough uh, for me to accept that thing because it's not like I'm any close entourage to him but I, I feel very sorry and bad for him for being tested so I try to you know keep positive um Part on my side is that I've been tested since then um, twice. I'm I'm negative. Hopefully, it's gonna stay like this. And um, yeah, I know many more people stayed way longer than I did close to him. So I don't know how all these things work, but hopefully, it's gonna work out well and uh, in safe manners. And also, like I mentioned just before, hopefully not too tough because we're still here to try to be competitive. You know how many other people are in the same situation you are? How many other people? No. I have no idea. No idea. Very strikingly, Haley Baptiste, who was Milanovic's first round opponent who she defeated, had no idea that her opponent across the net was one of the people in these new coronavirus exposure protocols, which strikes me as odd that the U.S. state would not tell someone, hey, you're going to be on court with somebody who is not allowed to leave their room and all these other things. So... Here's Haley reacting to that from a question from Reem Abuleil. I'm wondering how did you feel heading into the match if you had heard of all the things surrounding the French players, including Kiki, and that she's not allowed to be in contact with others because she was uh, in contact with Benoit Paire. Did that factor in your mind at all? Were you concerned about that heading into the match? No, I mean, I wasn't really too concerned. I feel like a lot of people were actually around him. Like, I know I was on, on an elevator with him. A couple of times, I'm not sure if that was before or after he tested positive, but I actually wasn't thinking about that at all. I didn't know that she was around him a lot and was in close contact with him. So, I, yeah, that didn't cross my mind much. We're going to hear from two people to help better understand the situation. First, No Ruben, who is growing disenchanted with what he feels are unfulfilled promises by the USDA in terms of its bubble and obviously caused quite a stir last night. And then from NCR's Middle East correspondent, Rima Abuleil, who you heard talking to Haley Baptiste there. First up is Noah Rubin, a behind the racket, making his NCR debut. Noah Rubin, 
you were quite the uh, the newsmaker late Sunday night <laughs> at the uh, at the U.S. Open on the eve of the tournament. Many eyes or at least ears turned to you and your behind the racket podcast as you were talking about uh, the situation unfolding with Benoit Paire and his presumed very obvious positive <laughs> test, even if not officially confirmed, and the people who have been in touch with him at the U.S. Open, uh, which you said on your podcast was 11. I'm not sure if that's official or not. You're shrugging at that number, but yeah. Yeah, you know, I've I've heard 11 from a few sources, and now we're at 7, and then we're um, – I heard 30. You know, I heard 30 from a okay. couple people, so um, no, I, I can't really disclose a number at this point, I guess. <laughs> okay, well, okay, I'm curious just how you first came on – this first came on to your radar. I said, it, I said it on Twitter, and I did not mean it. Some people were like – thought I was maligning you but you have a vested interest in this because you are like three out from getting in the main draw so like you're someone paying very much attention to eligibility for players I think you'll admit that fully a hundred percent yeah I mean full so yeah, <laughs> yeah. so look what is ten what is being a tennis reporter of any kind without a conflict of interest or, or, or seven so you're, you're well <laughs> on your way there but I I, I am uh, curious for you yeah just like what you heard what you thought about when you heard it and how and how overall if you want to just Rant, rant about this how you think the the bubble quote-unquote has been going so far yeah i don't know really where to start i think first being a new yorker you know i've been under strict protocol for a long time now um helping my girlfriend move into a new place in minnesota i did some business in tulsa and you know we're quarantining you know i'm i literally have to put in a slip in the airport we're quarantining can't leave the house people are calling to make sure you're in your house and this is not for the u.s open so here we are at the open and I actually countless times praised the USTA for all the effort that they put in to making this event, you know, at least happen. I mean, you know, obviously, even still haven't heard from the French Open. So I was praising the USA countlessly. Then we get here and there's a few question marks. You know, we start with, oh, OK, Garden City isn't a sold out hotel. Normal guests can come in and you start looking around, you start, you know, uncovering a few things and you're like, ah, okay. They were so close. You know, they were on the five yard line. They just dropped the ball for whatever reason. And that's when, you know, kind of put it to the side. I was like, okay. Then, you know, hearing from players, there was a wedding at the Garden City Hotel and then uh, things are starting to arise. During, during this last weekend, there was a wedding? I believe we've had two now. I believe two weddings, two weddings. Yes. Yes. Wow. Mazel tov to both happy I, couples. Yes. Cause I, I've been bored. So it's, it's been fun to <laughs> attend. Um, so, you know, you're looking at this normal guests, guests can come in and out. And then, you know, this Benoit pair situation arises and we're like, okay. Um, cause I was actually, I took a shuttle today, uh, yesterday in the morning and they're like, Oh, did you book one? I was like, no, didn't book it. Just thought it was a normal hourly. They said, well, we keep a log of everybody that goes on and off for contact tracing. I was like, Oh, totally cool. This is what you guys should be doing. Then we get into the point that this is what it's used for. Here we are. We have the people and what do they do? They, <laughs> I mean, it seems like we've gotten to a point where we're getting to this too big, for, you know, to fail situation where we're going to pave our own path. You know, if it doesn't seem to be working for us, we're going to make sure it does. And instead of, you know, whatever amount of players it actually is, instead of saying, hey, guys, you know, we're really sorry, but this can't go on like this. We can't appreciate you being a part of this. You've been too close to X, Y and Z. We're going to have to withdraw you from the tournament. They said we're going to amend whatever you um, signed at the beginning. And it kills me. It kills me because there's no discussion with players. It kills me because they bend the rules when it's in their favor. It kills me because, <laughs> you know, um, we're getting to a point where 
we feel like health is put into jeopardy a little bit. So, you know, one thing is money being taken away from me, and that happens far too often, so I'm used to it. But when it's <laughs> well-being and, and actually, you know, actually a, a pandemic has arisen and, and we're trying to put a tournament together, and we're not saying that we're going to cancel a tournament, it's just going to have a few different players, a few more alternates, as anybody would have expected for this tournament. And that wasn't in their cards so they did it their way and here we are now <laughs> yeah and the, the thing that strikes me about this weekend is that now I, I recorded a part with reem people are gonna hear later in the show is that this benoit pair positive test is not like a super out of left field happening right this is a pretty standard player test positive player was in contact with other people before he tested positive right this is pretty pretty foreseeable on every on every level and so, but it seems to me like they're sort of at the same time adjusting on the fly or, or you know, making up a, a little bit of rules on the fly or reacting on the fly in a way that you would have hoped that this could be a pretty preset if A, then B situation. This is not one that, sh this is not a scenario that I think is so unusual or unforeseeable that like it really takes a lot of inventiveness. This seems like a, it should have been a pretty cut and dry situation. Whatever the cut and dry was, it should have been something with a predetermined outcome. You know, that was my problem. You're in the media. You heard this line countless times. We're planning for positive tests. We know what to do. So here it is. And then you prove to us that you crumbled, completely crumbled under it. And whether there were top players involved and that just wasn't in your cards for this tournament, whatever the case may be, I was I was stunned. I mean, that's why I had to put the podcast. I mean, I have never rushed a podcast before like that. I was just like, it, this can't go on. I mean, how can I see this happening and regardless, and I saw the amended rules that these players had to sign. And I'm just like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I'm laughing because. What, 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 were, what were the rules? What did you see in that in the document? I mean, I don't want to. I, I don't think I've seen that document. Yeah, I mean, it really, I mean, yeah. it does. I, I know Stacey Allister got on today and kind of spoke a little bit about it. And it does restrict them from a lot of things. But to allow them to be on site to train and they're going to be around. You're not helicoptering them in and out of the site. They're going to be around. I'm just like. And them to say that New York State Department of Health okayed this and they were the final okay, there's a lot of things that are fishing to me. There's a lot of things that I have to question just because I am a New Yorker and I know what they've worked so hard to uphold, being the worst state to the best state right now um, in terms of cases. And you just pave your own path and, it, and it's killed me because, you know, we've they've worked so hard. And for everybody, and I wanted to say this before, for everybody that's put this tournament on, it's a, it's a disservice to you. It's a disservice because you work so hard and they're just going to, you know, they're malleable, I guess, and they can bend the rules to whichever liking without consulting players. Last last thing I'll say on this. Yes. Thank you for your time here in the <laughs> middle of your Grand Slam, although you're in a bit of a waiting game here, but yes. still middle of at least doubles in prep in your home tournament and everything like that. So uh, the biggest tennis event annually on, on your home island. The one, the one thing that stood out to me is... Uh, Haley Baptiste was impressed, and she's the one who played Mladenovic in the first round and lost. And she, Mladenovic is one of the players who's admitted that she was one of the people who is in whatever magical number, Constant Ocean Knox, 7, yeah. Ocean 11, whatever <laughs> movie it is, th who was in touch with Pear in some sort of card game situation. Baptiste did not know, going on court, that she her opponent had been someone who was a you know first-degree exposure to this positive test. And I felt like that's something you got to let players know like hey by the way your opponent who you will be sharing space with potentially going to the net with at some point is potentially you know is is under this restriction because we think there's a real chance that she has been compromised in terms of her health and her virus status <laughs> i i just think you and this is where it goes to the issues of not publicizing names and everything but like 
I just think transparency has got to be the way to go and keeping players in the loop so they don't and 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 you know and confirm the name Benoit Paris so people can be like wow I actually wasn't wearing my credential wasn't being traced or whatever but I had a you know a 30 minute you know elevator ride or I don't know that's not something that would actually happen, but yes. you know some long some Extended long 30 time, second elevator yes. ride with Benoit <laughs> Paris yeah or he was just standing next to him in line waiting for food right. for and they wouldn't know that or something who knows anyway I I would I just think the communication should be aggressively over overdone just a couple points to that if you don't mind it goes to a bigger picture it goes to a bigger picture and this is what we've been dealing with i mean this is what i first handed you know when i was at the australian open this is what i dealt with from the start and you said the word perfectly transparency that's what it, i just want communication because you know at the oh you refer, you're referring to the, like, the smoke the wildfire yeah that was another the, that was two grand slams yes, of health this issues was 2020 this yep. yes yeah mm-hmm. yeah so um, we we go outside. I'm practicing, I believe, with Mitchell Kruger, and we're like, we can't play in this. But I just want transparency for them to say, oh, it's all good. I was like, did you go outside? And they're like, well, we have scientists. I was like, can I see the numbers? Can I speak to the people you're speaking to? None of that. So it always, like a situation like this especially, it always seems like they're hiding something. And that's the biggest problem. You, you know, I, I assume you're hiding something when you look like you're hiding something. If you're if you're putting all your cards out and you're like we're doing the best we can with what we have, I can respect that to a certain extent. But with what we have right now, with them seeing that no matter what situation arises, they'll find a way to get around it. That's the problems I have, and they're willing to put people's health at risk. That that's, that's it, it. It reminds me of a, last thing I'll say. It reminds me of a maxim that I heard from somebody over this long quarantine period, which feels like forever, which uh, which stuck with me, which is saying like, if you try to, and I forget, I don't have any citation for who said this, but it stuck with me. Like if you try to mix public health and politics, you get politics. If you try to mix science and politics, you get politics. In this situation, if you try to mix public health and business decisions, you get business decisions, right? Like once right. you compromise the integrity of that at all for any sort of ulterior motive, whether it's putting on a uh, tennis tournament or reopening the economy in any way, or just making people feel like they can relax and have a good time again, Whatever you bend that, you you the science is ruined. I mean, science has to be followed or not followed. There's no in-between for doing the right thing or not doing the right thing here. You know, we, we know that sports, you know, unifies people, and that's a great during a time like this. But we have put sports on a pedestal one too many times. And it wasn't that U.S. Open, you know, was jeopardized. Like, the tournament as a whole was still going on. And the fact that even a small section of the U.S. Open, we are putting on a pedestal higher than safety and health. That's a problem to me. Yeah, that's a problem. Noah, thank you very much. One last very short question. Are you an Islanders fan? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. So, I'm so sorry. I know I've no, been seeing no. your flyer suite. It, it's fine. It's been I, unbelievable. I, I, I have resigned. I'm like, you know what? I didn't need a playoff run during a Grand Slam coverage. It was not going to end up well for anybody. It's three one in the series now for people who are following it, but it's it's over. So this uh, is and that's I, that's very big of you because this has been a lifesaver for uh, me during this I time. Know. I, have a, <laughs> I have I have I have another friend who's uh, a big Islanders fan, and I like I am I am so not mad at the Islanders. Like I first of all, you guys have always been like, and I say this in ways that are going to sound just rude, but like you guys have been the most yes. non-entity division, <laughs> like never a problem, right. never a rival really per se. Nope, and harmless really. So I can't I can't begrudge this at all. So congratulations to to Long Island. No, this has helped me through this time more than anything. So it's and especially they're playing every other day. I'm like for next for tomorrow night. I am so excited to uh, get some tennis out of my head. So (laughs) thank you. Noah. yes, of course. Thank you, Noah. And now as I and now after I pause briefly to mourn the death of the Flyers offense in the playoffs. I bring you Reem Abelail for a further chat. Here's Reem. 
pleased to be joined on NCR once again by Middle East correspondent Reem Avalail. Reem, thanks for being on NCR on day one of the 2020 US Open. It's been an interesting one. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I think it's only fair considering we spoke a lot when there weren't any matches. So I feel like it's good. <laughs> it's, it's good to talk on a day. Now we have things to talk about, although we're going <laughs> to we're going to mostly be talking about the story of a player who didn't play, Benoit Paire, who tested positive. It was announced right on the eve of the U.S. Open. He was pulled out of the draw. And a bunch of players, unclear how many, Noah Rubin says it's 11. Not sure that's the right number, but that's the number people are going with. 11 other players who were possibly in some sort of contact with him. Uh, mostly French, although Adrian Manorino said they weren't all French. Sasha Zverev said that Medvedev was one of them. Medvedev's coach said that Medvedev was not one of them. So it's getting a little bit messy here early on. What, what has been your thoughts on, on this news and, and how the tournament has handled it so far? I think uh, it's ridiculous uh, in terms of the lack of transparency. I feel even it's weird that the USTA would release a statement just saying a player when we all know it's fair. I mean, if, if the, yeah. as far as I understand, if the, if the player approves, you know, to be named, and obviously he did, like everyone has spoken about it, and French players have spoken about it and everything, why the lack of transparency? I don't get that. I was going to say, on that one point, actually, from something I heard from USDA, I believe this might be like a New York law that you cannot like reveal medical information. Even if they... Even if it's so obvious that one player says it positive and one player has pulled out of the draw and you can, everyone knows that that's only one of each of those things and we know it's pair. Yeah, they're not... The tournament cannot be first. Although they did, for example, I think uh, Edouard Roger Vasselin confirmed that he was one of the people who'd been in touch with him. Mm -hmm. And so then the USDA confirmed that uh, Roger Vasselin was one of the people. But uh, yeah, but I agree. I agree. A lack principle. of transparency also in... The fact that they, for some reason, the opponents of the players who have been in contact with Benoit Pair do not know. So this, this is, is big. big because if I'm stepping on court with someone who was in contact with someone who tested positive, I am risking my lifetime in this tournament because, I mean, I need to know. Uh, and that for me is also bizarre. And the fact that there are all these rumors means that even the players don't know much. So they're just like making stuff up or like, it's, 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 it's hilarious that it's all gossip, right? When it's not, this is, this is actually health and, and, and something serious, but it's being dealt with like it's gossip. This is such a relatively foreseeable scenario, mm. right? That a player tests positive. Mm -hmm. And it just strikes me that they didn't seem to know what they were going to do about it until it happened, until they had to decide. And then maybe they saw, wow, actually Benoit, or player we can't name, but we all know it's Benoit, was in, was in contact with a lot of people, right? Like when, when the trainer of Delian and Pella tested positive, they only really popped two guys for that. But everyone thinks that the number for, for Benoit is much bigger. I, actually, that's what uh, Haley Baptiste said. Like, I, I went... I, I went well, virtually went to her presser and uh and i asked her if like how she felt before the match like before playing kiki knowing that she's one of the players who's in isolation and stuff like that and she was like oh i actually didn't know but like i was with pair in the elevator like twice already and i feel like so many people have been around pair which actually was kind of funny because it just shows that he's quite a social person because <laughs> she's like i feel like so many people yeah. are around pair no no that makes that makes that it's just it i think you need to tell everybody like, hey, watch out if you've been in touch with this guy, because they can do their own social tracing, but they won't find everything, right? 
they won't find every contact that Benoit Paire had. They won't have everyone he was in an elevator with or who everyone he had a conversation with and on the line to get food or whatever else. Like they're not going to find everyone who Benoit Paire. But other people will remember when you put it in that kind of thing, when you say, oh, Benoit tested positive, people's memories will flood back to them and be like, wait, I was with Paire. People yeah. will remember themselves better than Benoit himself would or whoever they're counting on to report. So, yeah, I just think it could be much more proactive. And I also think that even if it was going to be a lot of carnage in terms of kicking people out of the tournament, like I do feel like there is a very strong case to be made that you have to do that. You know, obviously the timing is rough having this come right, right before the main draw starts. But if I'm Baptiste, who played Mladenovic, is one of the players who admitted she was, you know, in a card game with, with Benoit. And a card game, it's not something you can do really socially distanced unless you're like throwing cards across the room. You have to be Also, the you're all touching the same cards. So I'm sorry, yeah, but exactly. <laughs> but if I'm Baptiste, I'm thinking like I sh- and she's obviously this is her first US Open major. I'm not sure how much she's feeling this way, but feeling bold enough to think this way. But I'm thinking like I shouldn't have to play against a player who's this sort of, for lack of a better word, contaminated potentially. You know, like why should I have to risk myself to go out there when these are the rules and I'm not in you know jeopardy, but she is. And and Lenovich isn't. I don't think being allowed in the locker room. Maybe being allowed in other different areas. So why is she being allowed on a match court where there's still a risk of transmission to a, a player like Baptiste? So I, yeah, I could, I can see them being, I think they picked kind of middle lane here for how harsh to be. They're not doing nothing, but they're not doing as much as they could either. And so it's, it's a compromise that I'm not sure will satisfy. Anybody. I think what the way they handled the, the Delian Pella situation was basically, these are the rules. We're not going to change them. And actually Pella today on his Instagram just said that, this is the first day that he's allowed on site because his 14 days are over. So they went, they followed through with all of that, even though uh, Pella's physio, actually his second test was negative. And, and they don't know if it was a false positive to start with or if he just got better, they're not sure. But ultimately they stood their ground and they said, these are the rules, this is what we're gonna, what we're gonna do. You, and suddenly that's not the stance. It's a bit strange. Even, I'm not saying they're the exact same situation, but they should be dealt with in similar manner. I, I, don't, I don't understand why now. I mean, maybe they don't want 11 doubles players to suddenly enter the main draw, but like, what are you going to do? This, like you said, this is predictable. This is not something that people, like even Stacey Alistair said in the pre-tournament press conference, remember the early one um, a few weeks ago, she said that we know that someone will test positive. We're not saying no one will. We're saying that we're not going to have it spread. Yeah. But that's another thing I want to say is that they advise the players not to socialize, but clearly they're socializing. They're playing video games together and they're playing cards together and, and all of that. And, and that's... And the tournament set up stuff for them to do together too. They set up karaoke, they set up ping pong tables, and they put social you know, rec rooms in the, in the bubble, in the, in the, both on-site and at the hotel. And they probably assumed that people would only do that with their own teams, but that's not how it works. That's of course not how it works. I mean, even Maria Sakari, when she was speaking about the bubble, she was like, oh my God, it's like kind of exciting. Actually, it's like a school trip. Like that's the vibe. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that Maria is playing with other people or this or that. I'm just saying that that is the vibe. So and also, the way they do the contact tracing is by RFID is that are in the credentials, right? So if you don't have your credential yeah. on you, so if you go to someone else's room, you can leave your credential in your own room. And, and then they, yeah. the contact tracing, oh, like the system just collapses. So it's, it's so messy. That's the whole, honestly, that's my reaction to all of this. It's just so messy. 
My reaction is that it's so messy considering that this was not a weird case, mm. right? Like this Benoit positive is like, there's not very many extenuating factors. It's player test positive before US Open starts. Mm. Like those are the case facts. There's nothing really extenuating mm. about it. And so that they have this sort of muddled the response and they were still come, you know, leaving players as you heard in the clip I played before you came on from Adrian Manorino, like about being sort of in purgatory, uh, not knowing if you were going to play or not. Like, I just don't know how they didn't have this more figured out. And granted, they are liaising, I believe, with the New York State Health Departments and things like that. So maybe that takes some time. That's some red tape to clear. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much it's going to also do to undermine confidence because people are now, I mean, Dominic Team is out here saying this is the safest place in the world to be in the bubble, which no, it's, it's not. The safest place to be is, you know, somewhere where you're not dealing with hundreds of people. I mean, come on, Dominic. Honestly, like, not that I expected these players to, like, be really great epidemiologists, but they're still surprisingly bad. I mean, we, we realized last week when they got so upset about the Delhi and Pella situation that they don't know what an incubation period uh, is at all. Like, they no. have zero understanding of something that is very basic, not just for coronavirus, for anything. Like, we've heard the term incubation period in our lives many times we thought that i thought that the adriator ivanisevich example was going to be super illustrative and saying you know ivanisevich tested negative several times after adriator i think twice and then on his third test tested positive right yeah. so i was hoping that being a high profile case within tennis being the number one player's coach that people would be like oh wow it can work this way but yeah i still don't think people get it i still think people think that like so long as you test negative and i test negative we can do whatever together yeah. the the medical literacy is not impressive i think the tour could and should have and the tournament and the USTA could have done a much better job in terms of giving the players like a 90 second video being like here's what you need to know and like kind of scare them a little bit more I mean clearly they're being told stuff that they ignore I mean the tourists supposedly spoke to the players and told them don't socialize don't do this don't do that like and they're still doing it so I don't know I mean even Per is an example forget let's say people have a short term memory and forgot about Goran Per arrived in New York on August 18. He got tested August 18, obviously was negative, got tested August 20, probably supposed to be 48 hours later. And then four days later, again, all of these were probably negative, right? I mean, surely negative because he was not in isolation. So we're probably talking at least three tests were negative yeah. before he tested positive, right? And basically from August, 18 to August 30, that's a 12-day period. So he tested positive 12 days after he arrived. That is not difficult math <laughs> for anyone to comprehend. So, I mean, the odds are, I guess, then that also he contracted it in New York, we think? No, I think he could have still gotten it on the plane or at yeah, the airport yeah, because true. it's, again, it's within the 14-day period that they say is the incubation period. And also, it's possible that I think you don't have to go right from the the plane. I don't think you had to go right from the airport to the hotel, did you? I think you he could have gone to Brooklyn for a couple of days before he going to the bubble. Exactly. No, but yeah, but I think he went straight to the bubble. As he once said about staying in Brooklyn, how much he loved it. He go he went, yes, yes, I am Eepster. It's <laughs> not my favorite Benoit Pair line. I am Eepster. Uh, anyway. Uh, Reem, thank you for being here. We'll we'll unfold, follow this as it goes. Obviously, if it starts affecting more players and players 
again, mixed reports on Medvedev, his team denies that he's anything to do with it. What that could have made, because Medvedev is a major contender for this tournament. So that would be, if something happens to his tournament status because of this, that would be a big consequence of it. Uh, losing just Benoit, not as big. But uh, Reem, all the same. Thank you for, for being on here and sharing your reactions and hopefully hear from you again as this tournament unfolds. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much, Reem, for always being on the show. Thank you guys for listening to the day one episode of No Challenges Remaining from the 2020 US Open. And thanks to lots of you. Golly, good golly, so many of you who have signed on to our Patreon in the last 36 hours or so. This is easily the biggest surge we've seen since our launch and maybe even bigger than the one we had at our launch. It's a lot. It's been really overwhelming and great and fantastic. And thank you, everybody, who has gone to patreon.com slash no challenges remaining to give your support there. It uh, really means a lot to us. Here are some of the names to get through for people who have donated in the last while. They include Mike, Deborah Whiteman, Theodore Van Houten, or Van Houten, I think it's Van Houten, Horatio Silva, Charles Cena, Stella Coe, Lindsey Gibbs, Chase Savage, Mike Gerbish, and Brian Passia. And two of these new names, amazingly, are GOAT-level backers at our top tier. So Mike, thank you very much, Mike, new GOAT backer Mike, and Charles Cena. And Charles Cena, the new GOAT backer, has a note to share for you all, which amused me, and I quote, Charles Cena writes, I'm subscribing to your Patreon in the name of at G, at Cindy Banks, at Kaya Nole, and all the other crazy nutjob Djokovic supporters who harass you on Twitter. I would like this support to be thought of as an ongoing contribution to help put up with their ridiculous perspective of your work. So, Charles, I, I appreciate that. And also want to thank our Patreon Slam champ backers who get thanked on every show. Liz Kindle, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Chuang Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Wellen, Sean Mulroy, Joseph Haar, Susanna W., and our goat backer, J.O.D., who I've not mentioned, in addition to his new buddies in the goat backer category, Mike and Charles Cena. So thank you all very, very much. We appreciate it. We hope that you float along with us as this bubble rocks and tries not to burst. You can follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. Follow us individually. I'm at Ben Rothenberg. Courtney is at 42 Twits. Courtney's also at WTA Insider. Reem, also I should mention, is at uh, Reem Abaleo. She also has a Patreon. I'm doing stuff for the New York Times during this uh, U.S. Open. I hope you heard the New York Times. It's a good newspaper and always very robust U.S. Open coverage, even under these super challenging times. So, yeah, thank you all very much for listening, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Bye.